everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will revisit the emerging markets as my guests will speak to how the Chief Investment Office is thinking about the opportunity set for the asset class and will provide us a look into the ESG leaders across the emerging markets. So joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable and Impact Investing Strategist for the Americas, as well as Jing Cheng Yu, Emerging Market Strategist for the Americas, both from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Amantia, Jing Chen, it's great to have you back with our clients, our listeners. Looking forward to our conversation. Welcome back. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, Ben. Absolutely. So maybe we could begin by talking about positioning of Beijing Chen. I understand that the Chief Investment Office maintains a bullish stance on emerging market equities. So could you speak to the thesis behind that? Absolutely, Dan. Thank you for having me again here. Uh, yeah, so we feel like uh, EM stock, as we see uh, the drivers that we you know, initially lay out when we initiated the uh, recommendation are still playing out. Um, specifically, we have seen China's economic reopening continue to happen at a faster than expected rate. Many indicators are back to pre-COVID level, in particularly, you know, on the mobility side. And some high-frequency indicators have reflected that the recovery already, you know, uh, is taking place, such as, you know, around the manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMI. Um, admittedly, the recovery it's probably still going to be uneven, meaning some areas are catching up faster than the others. But we think the ongoing economic normalization uh, in the country will be a catalyst for EM stocks outperformance relative to their DM peers. So they can benefit you know, EM through trade and tourism, as well as pick up in demand over raw materials. So the prospect that you know, EM and DM growth differential will widen this year largely because of the lift in um, China's COVID policy, but also a you know, potentially less drastic than expected global slowdown should also benefit EM stock. So all in, we believe at current valuations, you know, in particular relative to developed market peers, and a more likely than not real bottom earnings revisions, emerging market stocks should outperform developed markets. Of course, you know, key risks are a U.S. recession, especially a deeper one this year, a solid uh, economic recovery in China, and a sharp uh, uptake in U.S. interest rates, a stronger U.S. dollar, and then last but not least, a meaningful escalation in geopolitical tensions. So getting a bit more granular, Jing Chen, in terms of positioning, what would you identify as being the opportunities within the asset class at this time? So there are multiple ways to seek opportunities within the uh, emerging market stock you know, space. The startups, for those that have under allocation to emerging market equities in general, we advise you know, to add a little bit more exposure to position for potentially more upside this year. And within the asset class, we have a range of geographic and thematic opportunities. Um, so, for instance, we like China. Um, as mentioned, uh, we believe evidence of an actual recovery, both on the macro and corporate fundamentals side, should you know, give the rally a second push. The corrections after a double-digit rally 
you know, uh, reflects some profit taking as well as rising geopolitical tensions. But we believe the dominant force, you know, this year should be the, you know, actual economic rebound. Um, this will not only support offshore Chinese stocks, right, that are listed in Hong Kong and overseas, but also domestically, you know, listed Asia's stocks that are more correlated with domestic policy cycle. Outside of China, we like South Korea and Thailand. And for South Korea, it is a early cyclical market, and we think we would soon see a bottom, you know, uh, semi-cycle, particularly on the memory side, which should therefore support Korean equities. And after a year of almost 25% of corrections, we think the markets will focus on, you know, 2024's earnings rebound, which will be, which we believe will be in the mid, you know, double-digit range. And as for Thailand, we believe a combination of retreating inflation and you know, continued uh, recovery of uh, inbound tourism from mainland China in particular should support an earnings recovery in you know, the second quarter of you know, 2023 and then hopefully help uh, lifting the sentiment there. On the thematic side, very, very quickly, we like EM internet e-commerce stocks. We think they are the beneficiaries from the China reopening, less consumption recovery, and plus earnings are, you know, seem to be turning uh, uh, the corner. And for emerging markets, you know, ESG leaders, which also is one of our, you know, favorite things uh, here, you know, ESG leaders with more, you know, visible growth profile and risk management structure should, you know, uh, in our view, maintain an important part of uh, emerging market uh, emerging market investors' portfolios going forward. Well, Jing Chen, thank you for that overview. I do want to welcome Amantia into the conversation, maybe running with something that Jing Chen had mentioned when he was going through the opportunities, that being ESG leaders within emerging markets. So, Amantia, can you take a few moments to speak to some of the key differences between developed markets and emerging market ESG leaders? Of course, um, happy to, and thanks, Dan. And, and let me take a step back here and, and start us off with a quick definition of ESG leaders for our listeners. Um, when, when we mention ESG leader strategies across, uh, across regions, really, we refer to those strategies that are selecting companies or issuers which are better than their peers at managing um, environmental, social, or governance issues. So what this looks like is companies that are doing relatively better at managing their workforce, managing their human capital, being more diverse if that's relevant, or they're doing better at minimizing pollution and waste, or they're sourcing um, energy efficiently and, and they're managing their relations with local communities as well as being transparent in governance. All these elements that I mentioned are operational perspectives uh, on a company which we believe um, can help uh, uh, give us a view on, on how companies will be prepared for risks or whether they are, as, as Sinjian pointed out, uh, positioned for higher growth in the future. Now, um, what's interesting about ESG leader strategies is that they can be applied within a region, in this case within emerging markets, and what we often see is that ESG leaders enable us to invest across sectors and industries um, with, with perhaps slight tilts or deviations, but, but closely mirroring the, the kind of the home or parent benchmarks. So again, as we're now getting to your direct question here, 
Um, when we look at EM uh, ESG leaders versus developed market companies, one thing that we know is that regulatory frameworks around sustainability in emerging markets um, are nascent but are rapidly evolving. And so what this means is that we expect companies um, in, in emerging markets to be on an absolute basis, perhaps lagging their peers in developed markets in specific indicators like sustainability disclosures. Um, or, and then sometimes sustainability performance in terms of lagging and having set up policies that, um, that protect them from, from, from downside risks. Um, however, this is a relative view to those developed market companies. Um, what, what is also interesting to us is that this, this part of the world is very quickly catching up as there's increased understanding of this being an, an important business or investment driver. Um, and so we see opportunities there as well, as again, as Jen noted. Okay, so now that we've defined the ESG leaders and Amantia, you went on to cite some of the key differences between developed markets, emerging markets. To keep our listeners current, Amantia, can you maybe highlight for us the latest regulatory and macro developments in emerging markets that can be in favor of these companies? Of course, I mean, as I, as I hinted at, um, um, not only we're seeing an acceleration of improvement on sustainability in these companies, but also if you look at these regu- regulatory developments, um, we, we see them quickly catching up to, to the rest of the world. Um, to mention a couple examples here, China has been a key driver of developing sustainable finance policy in particular within the broader emerging markets. Um, China put green finance development as a top policy agenda item since 2015 and has been pushing uh, forward since, um, for example, last year it, it unveiled its green bond principles. Um, kind of with a nod to the EU green taxonomy that, uh, that is helping in bond issuance. And on the equity side, um, also last year, environmental information disclosures became, uh, voluntary, uh, became mandatory, uh, for, for some, uh, some companies, some sectors, and then also voluntary corporate disclosure standards were introduced. Now, elsewhere in Asia, it's not just about China here. Uh, we're seeing green or sustainable finance frameworks also being put forward in places like India, uh, which also made its first kind of moves in, in issuing sovereign green bond issuance. And, and we're also seeing similar developments uh, coming out from the Association of Southeast Asian Nations um, uh, kind of on, on sustainability. Um, moving over to other parts of the world, in Latin America, regulators are also starting to lean in. Um, the Colombian government similarly last year launched the green taxonomy, uh, which, which we've discussed extensively in Mexico. Their local securities, uh, commission and regulator launched a voluntary ESG assessment tool for issuers of all securities and, and it's very likely that more guidance will follow, uh, kind of following this first step. Um, Brazil has been pushing forward here as well in Latin America with new guidelines from a self-regulatory agency around um, investment uh, funds that market themselves as ESG having to be more uh, specific on on kind of what what they're doing, what they're disclosing, and how they're investing. And, of course, in emerging Europe, in the Middle East, and Africa, we're seeing a different kind of push. We're seeing an evolution of uh, and a push forward around that idea of climate and the energy transition uh, with, you know, South Africa, uh, moving uh, towards kind of new pledges around uh, climate sustainability in 2021, and even uh, kind of Saudi and, and Gulf countries 
um, aiming to replace their their production of oil with renewable resources in the next few decades. So this is just a whirlwind tour here around emerging markets, and the goal here is really to give you a sense uh, that evolution is very rapid. I just mentioned things happening in the last two years, and we expect it to continue in this direction. Well, there does sound to be a lot in the mix at the moment across the globe, as you highlighted for us, Amantia. So a lot there we can, of course, continue to monitor. Thank you for sharing some of those highlights. As we begin to close out our conversation for today, Jing Chen, to welcome you back into the conversation. It's important to acknowledge performance always on investors' minds, top of mind in many cases. So how did ESG leader Jing Chen do compared to other emerging market peers? And can you even make a tap? case at the moment. Absolutely. So, of course, past performance doesn't necessarily indicate, uh, indicate right, any future performance, uh, but it is still helpful to observe and understand the historical context behind. So, since 2016, uh, which is the year we launched this theme, um, there, are, there has been two occasions where uh, EM ESG leaders index, right, underperform their MSCI EM parent index. One was in 2018, where you know EM uh, ESG leaders barely underperformed uh, the EM benchmark by about you know, 30 basis points, and the other one, which was in 2022, uh, EM ESG leaders underperformed their EM benchmark by more than two percent uh, in 2022, which was largely driven by uh, idiosyncratic shock, uh, thinking about doing uh, regulatory and also ADR delisting risk. Um, last year, as well as uh, global style rotation from you know uh, growth to value stock, as factually ESG leaders uh, in EM uh, do have higher weights to growth uh, stocks than their parent index. And looking ahead, as idiosyncratic shock uh, abate in our view, meaning that domestic regulatory and also ADR delisting risks are significantly lower, we see current valuations as quite attractive. So uh, EM ESG leaders, you know, forward price to earnings premium over the MSCI EM index has shrunk to around 5%, which are significantly lower than the three-year and long-term average at 14% and 12% respectively. So after you take everything that Amantia has just mentioned right, related to the regulatory and also structural tailwind plus the favorable you know, valuation outlook that can be catalyzed as well by increasing investor focus on EM, uh, driven by China's rebound, of course. We think both the strategic and tactical case for our, you know, uh, EM ESG leaders theme really stand out. Well, Jing Chen and Montia, thank you both for dropping by top of the morning. I know you both have recently done some work on ESG investing and implications for emerging markets. So, of course, do want to point our listeners, our clients to those notes, which are now available up on UBS.com slash CIO, of course, for our clients listening in. Contact their UBS financial advisor to receive copies directly, though. Amantia, Jing Chen, thank you again for your time and insights and for joining us here on top of the morning. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Much appreciated.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 